The following audio is recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Well, good morning, church. I am, uh, I'm glad you're here with us this morning. Uh, I'm excited for this morning as we, we kind of shift our focus a bit. Um, to Easter. So we're taking a break from our normal. And uh, just let me real quick explain what I mean when I say that. Um, first of all, we've been in First Timothy uh, for since the beginning of the year, and uh, we've been kind of walking through it slowly. We, we just walked through uh, chapter two. And uh, this morning, we start kind of a three-week break from First Timothy. Um, first Timothy has been so good and, and we're going to come right back to it after Easter, but for this week and the next two weeks, we're, we're taking a brief break from first Timothy and, uh, we're going to just kind of prepare our hearts this week and the next two weeks, uh, for Easter. And so we're taking a a brief break from our normal there, but along with that, I want to point us to something else. Um, normally we look at small sections of scripture together. We, we look at kind of verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, right? Um, and we love this. We, we absolutely love this. We believe this is a huge part of our health as a church. And I love the way God speaks through this and shapes us through this. And, and I, I love the way that our God is just alive and active through his word. Um, but with that, there is something I want to make sure that we, that we don't we don't miss. While while it's important for us to sit in this and to walk through books of the Bible, it's also so important that we are able to zoom out and to understand the big picture. Uh, church, it, it, it's important to know that this, your Bible, is, is one incredible story and that all of the verses that we walk through, the books of the Bible, even 1 Timothy that we're walking through now, they're a part of a big story, a beautiful story. And sometimes I think it's easy uh, to kind of miss the forest for the trees, you know? And and sometimes I think we'd be following Jesus for years and reading our Bible for years and forget that we are looking at one big story. We can zoom in so much that we can forget to zoom out. And uh, a couple years ago, there was a book and a video series for kids called The Biggest Story by Kevin DeYoung. And uh, the book and the illustrations are so beautiful. There's a video for it on Right Now Media, and the illustrations are incredible there too. Uh, but what this does is it tells the big, incredible story um, with such clarity and focus. And I remember every time I read it to my boys, every time we've watched it, I think, man, everyone needs to see this like from time to time. I mean, it is for kids, that's true, but man, this is so good for adult Christians to see and understand. And uh, listen, this is not a promo for Kevin DeYoung, I promise. Uh, But here's the thing, as I watched The Biggest Story, I had to ask, like, do we know the big story? Do, Do we know how all of this fits together do do we know how we fit right into the big story is it's easy to forget that all of the books and verses from genesis judges 
Psalm, Jeremiah, Joel, John, Romans, to Revelation, right? All of it, all of this are a part of this big story. And so with this, right up front, I want to tell you just a few just clarifying statements about this big, wonderful story. Just real briefly. First, this is God's story. And from that, second, God is the center of this story. You're not the center. God is. You're not the center of the story. Christ is. And I'm going to add to this. That's really good news for you. We'll talk about that here in a bit. And then and then third, the story is all about God's plan and his glory. It's God's story to redeem his creation through Jesus. And it the story's founded on Jesus and all glory goes to Jesus. And so with that, Jesus is the center. And he's, just, he's not just the center of my life personally as a follower of Christ. He's not only the center of our life together as the church, as the body of Christ, but church. Jesus Christ is the center of the whole story from start to the middle, and the finish. Now, we're going to be jumping around a lot this morning. We're going to look at several texts in the big story, but I want to anchor all of the texts for the next three weeks. I want to anchor this whole thing in one text, and that is in Colossians 1. So if you have your Bibles, would you grab them? You can turn with me to Colossians. And and um, listen, while you're getting there, I want to attempt to do something, and this is going to be crazy. Right up front, I'm going to attempt to tell the whole story. So as you can see, Bible, it, it's, it's long. I'm going to miss certain things. But listen, I'm going to do my best in three to four minutes, okay, to tell the whole story so that we can see where we fit and how all of this comes together. This whole story, I'm going to break down into three parts, three sections, and each of these sections are going to be one of the weeks. So part one this week, uh, part two next week, and part three leading us to Easter. And so with that, here we go. Big story. Let's put it all together. And let's start in the beginning. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. God created all things out of nothing with his word. And it was good. It's very good. In the beginning, God created everything. And everything functioned exactly how it was designed to function. It was shalom. It was perfect perfection lacking nothing, beautiful, good, right, and true. That was it. And then in Genesis 3, we have that perfect perfection, all that was good and beautiful, perfect shalom was vandalized. Paradise was lost. Creation was broken. Sin enters the world and enters creation. And sin, death, and brokenness along with it. And with that broken shalom, broken fellowship and union with God. And right here, right there in that brokenness, our story takes the next turn. So we move from part one to part two. Part two is the rescue, the restoration, the redemption, the salvation. It's God's story of restoration of what was broken and vandalized through sin. And as we read this, the big story unfolds. So here we go. Buckle up. God calls to himself a people through Abraham. He establishes salvation by justific or uh, justification by by faith alone. He then God sustains his people through Moses, delivering them from oppression and slavery and giving them his law and his ways that they can be set apart and holy unto him. He leads his people through the judges like Gideon, 
and Samson and Deborah, right? Then he gives them and leads them through the kings that we see in books like First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. We see kings like Saul and like David and like Solomon. We see that God gives his people and speaks to his people through the prophets. But we got the long-winded prophets like, uh, like Isaiah and Jeremiah. And we have the more to-the-point prophets, minor prophets like Micah and Obadiah or Habakkuk, right? And all of these prophets, again, do they just remind the people of what God is doing, who he is, how he's called the nations to himself. And, and over and over and over again, they just call God's people to repent, repent, turn. And then all throughout their message, they just remind God's people again and again of the rescue plan of God that is in full swing, in full motion, as they remind the people that the Messiah is coming, right? And then everything changes. Because in the fullness of time, in the perfect moment, the long-awaited and perfect promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, is born and the Word becomes flesh. We read about his birth, his life, his ministry, his miracles, his death, his resurrection, and in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He lives his life perfectly and sinless, gives his life on the cross. He dies the sinner's death, the death he didn't deserve, the death we deserved, right? And then raising from the dead, conquering death and hell, giving us his righteousness in his life. Christ finished the work. And then as we read in Acts, he ascends into heaven saying, I will return. But until then, my people, my followers, you have work to do. And so the church was born and it spread. The gospel spread. We see this in the book of Acts. We see the church given instructions through the epistles like Philippians, Ephesians, Galatians, even 1 Timothy, right? And what we know in scripture is that during this time, the church is left with the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It's left with the word of God, the spirit of God, the mission of God, and it spreads. But also, listen, the church is also left with a promise that Jesus will return. And this gets us to part three. The final scene of the grand story is resurrection. Revelation. The end of this book. Jesus returns. And the end of the story is all about restoration and recovery of all that was lost. We see resurrection and glorification. Perfect shalom again. Listen, church. It all started in the garden. And it was good. And it all ends in a city. And it is good. It started with God and man in fellowship with no sin, shame, pain, tears, sickness, or death. In church, it ends with God again dwelling with man in fellowship. No sin, shame, death, tears, sickness, or death. See, the story is full circle. It begins in goodness and it ends in goodness from creation to recreation. If you're a visual person here, listen... All that we've talked about and all that you see here, all that we've walked through, it's still zoomed in. Because if you zoom out, you see that this story is even bigger than that. Because in eternity past, that arrow just keeps going. And eternity forward, it just keeps going. We're talking God for eternity past was and eternity forward he will be and we will be with him. This story is massive. 
And if you take this in, let me state the obvious. This story is not about you. You're not the center of this story. We're a part of this story, yes, but this story is not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. This is a story of creation, and it centers on the work and the person of Jesus Christ. It centers on God himself and his great plan unfolding for his great glory. And church, we're a part of that story. This is one story. And so with that in mind, church, over the next three weeks, we're going to examine this story in light of one text, and that is Colossians 1. So with that story in your mind, let's now read our text. This is Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. It says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in everything he might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Church Christ is the bigger story. Let's pray. God, we come to you now and we pray that you would give us the ability to to see and to grasp really what you are doing. We know that um, our finite minds will never be able to wrap our minds fully around all that you are and all of your plan. But God, would you give us the the ability to just to see what you're doing and how you have called us to be part of your big and wonderful story. God, would you help us this morning as we walk through this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, church. So this text, um, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, it's, it's understood to be a hymn. Um, it's understood to actually be a hymn of the early church that just centers around Christ. And it shows us how the, the early church worshiped Christ and looked to Christ. And there's just so much packed in that hymn that we just read, in that text that we just read. It is so rich. And, and as we think of the big story that we already walked through, man, this hymn is absolutely incredible. This morning, we're only going to look at the first two verses of that of what I just read um, as we look at the first part of the big story, part one, creation. In the beginning, God created. And listen, um, the point of our time uh, is not going to be to debate the details of the timing of the creation narrative. You know, was it seven literal days? Was it ages? Was it allegory? Was What's the specific timeline? No. Okay, those conversations are a lot of fun. I'd love to have them with you sometime. But this morning, we are going to focus on something much more fundamental than the when question. Because when it comes to creation, here's what I want us to see. I'm going to put this up here. This is what I want us to see. Scripture tells us in Genesis 1 and 2, part 1, this is what Scripture tells us. God created all things out of nothing by his word, for his glory, and it was good. 
Let me say that again. God created all things out of nothing by his word for his glory and it was good. So quickly, let me pick that apart. Let's start with the who. The who, God. This is important. Don't rush past this. God was not created. He is eternal. He is eternally Father, Son, Spirit. Remember, that arrow goes both ways forever, right? Our God, three persons, eternally existent, uncreated, eternal triune God. That's the who, God. Second, the what. What did God do? Well, he created. Our uncreated, eternal triune God created, okay? And how did he create? Well, first, he created all things out of nothing. That is, everything in all of creation, God created out of nothing, ex nihilo. So what this means is he didn't take like stuff that existing material that already existed. He didn't manage or rearrange pre-existing material. No, 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 no. Listen, out of absolutely nothing, God created absolutely everything. How incredible is that? And how else? Um, how did God do it? Well, we, we read in scripture, scripture tells us that he created by his word. He spoke it into existence by his word. And why? Why did God create everything out of nothing by his word? Listen, it was not because he was incomplete or lonely. Okay? It wasn't because he was in need of something or lacking something. He didn't need something to say, you know, you complete me. He didn't need that. Okay? He created all things from nothing, not because he lacked but for his glory. It was his sovereign plan for his glory because he's good. God created all things from nothing by his word for his glory. And what was it like? Well, God says it was good. It was exceedingly good. Um, so I've used this analogy with my boys before. I think I may have used it in teaching Genesis 1 before as well, but this analogy is stuck with me because I have three boys and our house is filled with Legos. So I'm going to use this analogy again when we think of Genesis. So Genesis tells us that creation is not like this. It's not like God goes to a Lego store, gets a set, builds the set, puts it on a shelf and says, you know, that's pretty good. Okay, that's not what Genesis says creation was like. Here's the amazing thing about creation. Here's what Genesis 1 tells us. It's not, it, 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 it's, it's like God built a Lego set with no pieces, no instructions, and with no hands. Okay? And then after doing that, he stepped back and says, that's not just pretty good. That was awesome. Okay? This is what, this is what God, how God created he built the set with no pieces, no instructions, no hands, and it was awesome. That's the miracle of Genesis 1 and 2. Just incredible. And I want to hone in on, on God's assessment of all that he created when he said it was good. What do you think made it good? Have you ever thought about that? Church, it is good is a reference to, to a few things. It's a reference first and foremost to just the beauty and the goodness of what God created. 
It's also a reference to the sinlessness. It's a reference to the wholeness, the shalom, the justice, the righteousness there. It's also a reference to the communion and the union and the fellowship, the unbroken fellowship between God and man, God and his creation. It is good, exceedingly good. Part one of this incredible story, week one for us, it starts here. It starts in the it is good. It starts with God creating everything out of nothing by his word for his glory and it is good. And so from here, as we start here, we can now dig into the words of our text. Colossians 1, we're only going to look at the first two verses again for this week. We'll move on next week, but starting in verse 15, he, he, that's Jesus, the son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the God, man, the center of the story. He is the image of the invisible God. Oh, that is a loaded statement. That's a loaded statement. See, the word image is not just a representation. In other words, um, here's a quarter. Uh, if you have a quarter, if you if you look on the quarter, there's an image on the quarter, right? Um, there's an image of uh, George Washington on, um, on this quarter. Now, if you look at this quarter, this image is not George Washington himself. It's an image of George Washington, right? You get that? Um, church... That is not how this word is being used in this text. The word image is not about a representation like this quarter in George Washington. It's about manifestation. In other words, Christ is much, so much more than just a symbol of God. Because in Christ, we do not have a symbol of God. In Christ, we have the full representation of God. In Christ, we have the actual presence of God, church. It's like in Hebrews 1, um, verse 3, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. See, the big point that we see in our text here is that um, when you think about God the Father, listen, Scripture tells us he is spirit. He's not like a man with flesh and bones. More than that, no one, no man can look at God the Father because he's too holy and too other than us. But here's the thing. In Christ, the invisible God is made visible because in Christ, God came. The word put on flesh dwelt among us that we now see and we now know God. He is God. And this means, church, that in Christ, the revelation of God in Christ means that we can actually see him, see our God, even with all of our limitations. This is incredible. Because to see Jesus is to see God, not a representation of God, not a close second, not a just God-likeness. No, to see Jesus is to see the fullness of God, the image of the invisible God. And church, this is why we preach Christ. This is why we sing about Christ. This is why we remember Christ in communion each week. This is why we remember and celebrate the work of Christ through baptisms. It's because Christ is everything. He's the image of the invisible God. To look to Christ is to look to God. To worship Christ is to worship God. He's the image of the invisible God. And second, our verse says, he is the firstborn of all creation. I want, to, I want you to hear me loud and clear here. 
this does not mean that Jesus was created. Okay? In fact, in the next verse, Jesus is about to do all of the creating. Jesus was not created. Jesus is God, and God was not created. God is eternally existent, eternally God, and eternally Trinity. Therefore, Jesus was not created. Okay, this is this may sound small. It is not. This is so important that this was the single main heresy of the early church that they dealt with in the early church. There was a, there was a man named Arius who taught long, long, long early church that, that Jesus was, although he was special in creation, greater than he was still created. Um, he was lesser than the father. Arius believed that Jesus uh, was the created creator. And listen, this was, that was clearly condemned by the early church as a heresy, thankfully. I am so grateful for their clarity because this is so important. Hear me. Jesus is God, eternally God, not created. He is God. The word firstborn is not about Jesus being created. It's about his prominence and his place. It's like the way the word is used in Psalm 89. You don't have to turn with me here, but in Psalm 89, verse 27, David is called the firstborn among the kings of the earth. This is the same idea here. Was David literally the firstborn of a large family of kings? No. Um, this word communicates David's prominence, right, and place among the other kings. Listen, the New Testament uses this term in the same way. In the New Testament, the word firstborn that we see here is used eight times and of those eight times, there is only one out of the eight that mean that has anything to do with birth. That means the rest of the seven times that this word is used, it's used like Psalms with David. It's used figuratively. It has nothing to do, to do with the idea of birth. In fact, it has much more to do with the Jewish concept of birthright. See, in the Jewish culture, in the Old Testament, we see this so many times. But the firstborn is given specific rights and privileges as the firstborn. The firstborn was given a special place and authority. Church, this is exactly what how this word is used and exactly what is meant by this term in our text when Jesus is called the firstborn of all creation. He is set above all creation as the God of all creation. And with that, I want us to come back to our text because I want us to drill down closely in this next, in verse 16. It says, for, meaning because, for by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. Listen, all things were created through him and for him. I want to focus on those incredible phrases. By him, through him for him. All creation, all things, all things were created by him, through him, for him. Don't, rub, don't rush past this. Let's sit in this today. This means that all of Genesis 1 that glorious story that I we've already talked about, that in the beginning, Genesis 1, all of it, listen, was, all of that was by Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. By, through, and for Him. I'm not sure if there's anything that's more important for us to wrap our minds around this morning than this. 
And let's start with the by him, by him. When we think of Genesis 1, or at least when I think of Genesis 1, I tend to think of the Father, and for good reason. But we need to understand, our God is Trinity, eternally Trinity. In other words, he didn't start being Trinity in the manger in Bethlehem. This means that in Genesis 1, our God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, theologically, we we do need to have a clear distinction between the work and the person of the Father and the Son. Um, but please don't misunderstand me here. Like when I when I say this, so so when I talk about Jesus being the by and the through and the for whom all was created, this is not to say God the Father doesn't have a significant role in relationship and creation. In fact, I heard this analogy this week, and I think it's good. Um, as I say it though, I know all analogies, they're going to fall short in some ways, okay? But I do think this is a good one to help us think about this. So in creation, scripture presents God the Father as the architect of creation. He determined to bring creation into existence and he is sovereign over it, right? Along with that, in creation, Scripture presents Jesus, the Son of God, in some sense, as the foreman of the construction of creation. Jesus is said to have brought the plans into existence. Right? And then finally, in creation, Scripture presents the Holy Spirit doing the actual work of applying the plans in a hands-on relationship to creation. Listen, I thought that was really helpful or at least it was for me. Um, but with this, listen, all things our text says today were created by Christ. This is not hyperbole. This is the truth of God. Our creator God is triune and all things, all things were created by him, by Christ. Meaning Christ had the responsibility and control. It was by him, the foreman of creation. And second, it was through him. This means that Jesus was the instrument. And and you got to hear me. This is not only found in our text. This is found all throughout scripture. Jesus Christ is the active agent of creation. It was through him, his power and his ability. Um, I read in first, or I read in Hebrews 1 already, uh, but right off the bat in Hebrews 1, 1, right? It says, Long ago, at many times, many ways, God spoke to his, our fathers by the prophets. Then he says, but in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed, I, lo- I like this, heir of all things. There's that idea of the firstborn again. But then listen to this. He says, through whom, that's Jesus, through whom also he created the world. This is the same idea here. Or, or think of this one, uh, John 1. Love this verse. John 1, in the beginning was the Word. That's capital W, Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and hear this, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Same thing again. All creation was created by Christ 
and through Christ. And then lastly, for Christ, for him. This um, for him, it, it tells us that all creation exists for him, meaning he is the center of the story and all of creation ultimately exists to glorify Christ. So think about it like a work of art, a masterpiece that an artist does. That masterpiece points to and glorifies its, its artist. That's exactly what happens here. Creation glorifies its artist. All creation glorifies Christ. All creation was created by him, through him, and for him. And if you could just see one thing this morning, it's this. This big and incredible, our, the story, listen, the, the big story, it centers on Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ. God created the world, all things out of nothing. And creation was done by Christ, the foreman, through Christ, through his power and ability, and for Christ, like a masterpiece glorifies its artist, creation glorifies Christ. He's the center of this big story. And so from this, um, here's the question. What does this mean for us? Why does this matter? Why does it matter if we understand uh, part one of this big story? Why does it matter that we understand the by, through, and for Christ of Colossians 1? Why does it matter for us? What does it mean for us? And so I want to make three careful applications from this text. Um, first, in this text, in this part, listen, we have perspective. I want to say this as clearly as I'm able to say it. The self-focused, self-centered, self-preserved life. That life that's bent inward on itself, the life spent looking out for ourselves, protecting or promoting ourselves, the life centered on us, the, the I, 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 me, 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 that life, although that life sounds like it would be really cool and fulfilling. I mean, it sounds awesome, right? We're the center. I mean, how could that not be awesome? Listen, although that life may sound great, that life is the single most miserable existence, the single most miserable and empty life possible. When our perspective is inward, here's the truth. We crumble. We all crumble. Why is that? It's because you and I were not created to wear that weight. You and I were not created to be the center of our own lives. Our sin nature wants to trick us into thinking that we want that. But you and I, we are not created to be the center of our own stories. It's like uh, we're a, a, a little bitty car trying to pull um, a massive trailer. That's what it's like. See, we break down. We're weighed down. You and I are not created to bear that weight. The weight of being the center. It's too much. If you think about it, this is exactly the reason. 
um, that Jesus gives all of those really confusing statements. You know which ones I'm talking about? Like the, if you want to find your life, then give it. If you want to be the first, then be last. Listen, those statements, if we read those statements with ourselves as the center, then they, they those statements, they make absolutely no sense. Selflessness makes no sense when I am the center. Selflessness only makes sense when our perspective changes and when we look to Jesus and understand we are not the center. Uh, Listen, one of my prayers this week, this is going to sound rough at first, but I love you. Uh, Hang with me. One of my prayers this week is, is that we would stop trying to be special and important in this life because that pursuit is such an empty life. Instead, my prayer is that we would realize how special and important Christ is in that from there, we would find our worth and our identity in Christ. Because when we understand that Christ is a center, then we understand that our identity is in him. And that identity is the top priority and top joy of our life. I'll put it like this. Creation reminds us that you are not the center and God is not your cosmic ATM looking to give you all that you want in this life. Creation reminds you that you are not the master and God is not your cosmic genie in the sky looking to grant you all of your many wishes in this life. No, the by him, through him, and for him reminds us Christ is the center and we find our greatest joy and purpose as we give our lives and give our everything to him. He is our master and we find our greatest satisfaction when we call him Lord. Creation, or part one, gives us the perspective we need, the perspective I need. You want to know what I've been thinking about all week as I've been preparing this? This huge timeline, this huge story, this story of God, the creator. I have just been thinking so many times like, wow, I feel small. I mean, and then I realized that I'm not the only one who feels like that. I read scriptures where David and uh, scriptures like where Job just asked like, who am I? Who am I in light of you? Who am I in light of this? I'm convinced, though, that it's from that place, from that realization, from that perspective that the power of the gospel can really finally set in. Because it's not about how special, how big, how good, how worthy, or how powerful I am. It's about the fact that my God loves me and he is good. He is big. He is worthy and powerful. This is a perspective shift. This is the perspective shift I need this morning. And this is what creation reminds us. So first, we have perspective. Second, we have hope. Um, I don't think I need to convince you or persuade you of this, but the world is broken. Earlier, I described the garden and it is good of the creation in the garden. Listen, it doesn't take much to understand that that is not the world we inhabit today. Listen, we see sickness and brokenness. We have sin, road rage, broken fingers and cancer, homelessness and poverty and wars and injustice and 
racism and Facebook. <laughs> Whereas in the garden, it is good, right? In our lives, so often we look and we realize it is not good. And so how do we not lose hope in this? How do we stay grounded in hope? Listen, we look to creation. We look to part one. We need to understand the big picture. What started as good will be good again. This is a story of restoration. And, and I mean, we're looking toward Easter, right? Resurrection, amen? We know the goodness, we know that the goodness of Eden will be experienced again with Christ in the new Jerusalem. And so church, in this moment, in this space between, we have hope. We have perspective. We have hope that he's coming again. And ultimately, church, third, we can worship. Part one, creation. This, this understanding of God, our creator. Listen, it fuels our worship. Throughout the Psalms, throughout the scripture, our eyes have been drawn up to our God as we consider all that he has made. Creation fuels our worship. We see this today in our songs. We see this today in our prayers. In fact, listen, I was thinking in our prayer gatherings each month, we've, we've had prayer gatherings the first Tuesday of the month for like over five years. And um, each one of them, they always start out with thankfulness or adoration and praise. And I was thinking back and, and there has never been a prayer gathering where we haven't started in praise um, that has been rooted in the fact that God is creator. Like every time we start to praise God, it just flows out. We praise him for who he is as God, the creator. Like it's like the psalmist in Psalm 96 or Psalm 104. Our God is the creator. We are his creation. And this calls us, propels us to praise and worship. And I think this is such a beautiful place for us to push pause and to end this morning in worship. In fact, I want to close with the words of, of a hymn. It's one of my favorites. And I think it sums this up so well. And so I will read it and then we can sing it together. Um, but I just want to read the first verse. Listen to this. Oh Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. So then sings my soul, my Savior God to, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Church, in light of creation, in light of God, our creator, in light of Christ, the by him, through him, and for him. Church, in awesome wonder, let's consider all that he has done and sing together this morning, God, how great thou art.